everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you, Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is The Run Through. I'm Chloe Mel. And I'm Joe Minardi. And today we have a conversation with one of my favorite writers of all time, Sadie Smith. We're very excited about this. Uh, Her new novel, The Fraud, is uh, her first piece of historical fiction. It's set in London and Jamaica in the 1800s and explores how the sugar trade funded colonial Britain. Zadie's mom is Jamaican. Her dad was British, so it was also a bit of a personal exploration for her. The first half of the book centers around Eliza Touche, who is a widow and a housekeeper to her prolific but not particularly talented novelist cousin, the real-life William Ainsworth. And it goes on to recount this famous real-life historical trial of Roger Tickborn, a butcher claiming to be this shipwrecked aristocrat and heir to a Jamaican sugar fortune. And, you know, there were many parallels to Trumpism and American populism. But for me, I loved that this was also at the heart a novel about novelists. And Charles Dickens plays a role. It's just a, a real delight all around. Yeah, no, it was such a good read, and I and I I loved being able to read it over the summer. I mean, I've loved I've loved Zadie's work since her since her early novels, White Teeth, On Beauty is one of my favorites, and of course, I've just been a fan of her impeccable style. I mean, what's not to love? What's not to love? <laughs> Zadie and her family moved back to London from New York quite recently, you know. And as someone who's lived in New York for twenty years and about to move to the UK, I really, really wanted to get her tips and just get a sense of why she fell in love with New York. And it was kind of interesting talking to her about some of all of that, right? Absolutely. No, it was such a treat because she's on this uh, marathon press tour. So we were excited to get a moment with her. All right. Without further ado, here is Zadie. Zadie Chioma. Yeah. Congratulations, Chioma. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. You just don't know what the family group chat has been like. My parents do not know nothing about fashion. And then they were like, wait a minute. We're in the Daily (laughs) Mail. What's happening? And I was like, oh, God. That was wild. So wild. That's incredible. Well done. Thank you. Does it mean you're moving home? It's been two decades for me. So Have I you don't got four know. to six million pounds. How, I mean, where, where are you thinking of <laughs> well, living? Well, don't tell exactly? anyone, but I'm going to be living at my parents' council yeah, flat for the first few months. 
It's unbelievable. I know. I know. But luckily, I grew up right by the BT Tower. So Really? No yeah, one lives there. I know. That's what everyone <laughs> used to tell me. But they do. But um, we do. So it'll be, it'll be fun. Um, my, my mom and dad mostly live in West Africa. So I'll get to, um, to, oh, go, to go and not kill my mom the whole time because she'll be gone yeah. when as soon as it gets cold so and you'll never be late for anything if you live there no, you'd be surprised <laughs> you'd somehow be surprised. she'll manage somehow Sorry. she'll ma- they were everybody was scared i was going to be late to this interview so there you go <laughs> <laughs> i mean what what is it like i always kind of i always dreamed of being able to raise my kids in the neighborhood that i grew up in just because i really loved i don't know something about that. What is it like raising your kids in the neighbourhood um, that you were born in? It's it's good. I mean, it's it's not just me, right? So I have another half who would like to raise his kids in the neighbourhood he was born <laughs> in, which is rural islands. So wow. that, that causes a certain amount of um, tension on a daily basis. It's not anything like where he grew up, you know. It, it, it's good, but, I, you know, I do... I, I'm probably too aware of, like, both the pitfalls and the blessings of a neighbourhood, so... Kids just want to live their own lives. You know, they don't want to hear old heads saying, don't do this, don't do that. Boring to them. So uh, for me, it's a pleasure a lot of the time, but it's, I think it's complicated for us as a family sometimes. I wanted to ask you, what was your first memory of, of writing fiction? Um, plagiarism. I, there was some uh, Michael Rosen poem, I think it was, which I just copied down exactly, took it down to my parents and said, I wrote this. And then I got a whooping. <laughs> <laughs> As you should do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then weirdly later, the first literary prize I ever won, I was about 10. Wow. And Michael Rosen gave us the award. And um, yeah, I felt bad. I didn't tell him. <laughs> I started by stealing his work. Yeah. What was the first fictional character you created? What was, um, do you remember? Um, I think it was that. It was with my friend Polly. We did a, it was actually quite plagiaristic as well it was like a story of two skeletons so I think it was probably Nick from is it Alan Alberg and his wife they did those um it's from the 80s like an 80s kids book so we slightly copied it and and then won this book prize <laughs> so the first thing I ever character was a skeleton yeah a dead person wow yeah. that's cool Zadie, we uh, there was a great podcast interview you did where you were talking about what you were like as a as a young kid and yeah how you sort of hid behind glasses. And I was wondering if, if it's interesting to see your own kids growing up in the same place. I mean, what, what is different for them now? And do you sort of see any repeats of what you experienced? No, not really. They're so different from me. Uh, I mean, I don't want to talk about my kids too much, but they're so physically different from me. I was so awkward. I thought I was so ugly and, and my kids, they're like all stars or whatever. So I find it quite hard to relate to that experience of not being a freak <laughs> my kids are not freaks so they they're a completely different experience like my son likes to play football and has loads of friends my daughter's like tall and elegant and blah 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 blah, blah. I wasn't any of those things when I was a kid I loved hearing about the way you described yourself looking like dressing like Virginia Woolf um <laughs> yeah sometimes <laughs> sometimes like salt and pepper is a bit schizophrenic but um yeah I just had a lot of a lot of trouble with the whole realm of you know getting dressed and stuff. It just wasn't my thing when I was a kid. When now did, I'm rather yeah. good at it. When did, well, yeah, when did you, you really hit your, I always, you know, I don't know the before times, but 
I always think of you as incredibly stylish. And I remember being at the Met, seeing you come up the stairs and you, you know, you have such a a style signature with your head wrap specifically. Tell me a bit um, about, about sort of styling yourself and when you started to enjoy clothes. Um, I mean, I always was interested. I just wasn't very good at it. But I, I remember when I, um, <laughs> when I went for my college interview, I was very nervous. My mum was very nervous. We didn't know, didn't really know anything about Cambridge or what you were meant to do. Or, And so her idea was, well, you should get dressed up like an African queen. She put me in this <laughs> insane outfit with like a cape and this big head wrap. And it was quite busty, I remember, and very, it was just insane. And then I got on the train and it was just a load of public school boys in their uniforms. Oh and they God. just literally looked at me like, what the... <laughs> What are you doing? I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, God, what have I done? And I got there and um, and it was fine, actually. The outfit was the least of my problems, you know, in that, on that day. But I think maybe that's where it started with the head wrap. My mum just, maybe I was having a hair panic and she's just like, you can just do this. It's quick. Do you have a, a like a drawer full of them? Do you collect them? No, I don't have enough. I have like three or four, but I wear my hair out a lot more now. And, um, you know, sometimes it can give you a headache, a head wrap depending on how tight it is so but uh, I guess when I was young I used to wear it so that if I was in public doing something public I would wear it so when I wasn't wearing it nobody recognized me so it was an easy hmm. thing it's just a way of uh disappearing when I was in my normal life I loved hearing about your your mother and your hair because I know your mother obviously has dreads yes and yeah, talk to me about your relationship to, to your hair. Because as I, I definitely, as a kid, I struggled. I got teased about my hair because I didn't relax my hair. I, I mean, I remember it was a whole torturous scene, but it's so long ago. And I have such different feelings now that it's hard to relate to the incredible drama that seemed to be around it when I was a kid. I just don't feel any of it anymore. So it's so irrelevant. But, I, but when I was young, I do remember like if you combed it out, big and you felt really confident you got out the door and you're like yeah I look amazing within two minutes someone would say to you what's wrong with your hair or what you know every time and you'd be like oh okay right well I thought I'd just try and wear it as it actually is but apparently not and that went on for you know eight so many years it was so annoying what designers are you enjoying wearing right now have you what have you watched London Fashion Week at all or been to anything? I've never understood what where fashion weeks happen. I turn up in a town, they seem to be happening. They're not on telly, and then they're over. It's like, what, that's it? What happened? I, I don't, I literally don't understand what they are. I've been to one show, I think, the Prada show in New York once I was invited, and it, it was in two and a half minutes, it was over. I was like, okay, this is a weird cultural experience. Um, the, the only one that um, I know anything about is Rachel Comey, because hers are more like dinners and... I saw There's you at a show. Like, yeah, I saw you at yeah, a show. That I've done. And um, yeah, it was in Brooklyn at, in Red in Red Hook. That was Rachel, yeah. Yeah. That Rachel's show Rachel, was more yeah. of a yeah, I suppose. It's more it's of a more, thing. Yeah. It took took more than two minutes. You could talk to people, have dinner, have a drink. <laughs> and then there are some people walking around in clothes, but it's not like the whole thing. I fashion shows are not really uh they're not really for me. I went to the Loewe one because Jonathan Anderson is a Northern Irish boy and my husband's an Northern Irish boy and they, their fathers were good friends. And, oh, that's oh, wow. sweet. Yeah, it's a weird thing. And Nick's father had died and and I was quite keen. He was quite keen to meet Jonathan's father. It was lovely, actually, to meet his family. But um, as a rule, 
yeah, it's just not 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 a thing that I enjoy, unfortunately. <laughs> but I like the clothes. Yeah, I do like the clothes, um, and I love Rachel's clothes above all. Can you buy them in London, or do you have to stock up when you're no. in the US? order them sometimes I go to New York or in New York used to wait for the Rachel Comey sale which is like a violent bun fight of downtown (laughs) women punching each other in the face for (laughs) cheap Rachel Comey sometimes like Amelia Wickstead gave me some things to wear on this tour which are very lovely um I haven't worn them that much I'm sorry Amelia because it's so hot everywhere and they're like beautiful (laughs) autumn clothes yeah they're made for they're made for British weather they're not yeah and it's just been so hot but uh yeah, I have, I I I like clothes, but I I guess I prefer to just kind of get my own and and high street stuff. I I always when I was younger anyway had I thought a gift for making very cheap clothes look expensive. Where did you shop? Just a normal Zara, Topshop, H and M. Most of the things I went to in New York, I'm wearing high street stuff mm-hmm. with like vintage jewelry and sometimes a fancy shoe, but it wasn't expensive. Zadie, how do people dress differently in London versus New York? It's just so different. I can't. I, when I'm in New York, I'm in like costume. I can wear literally anything. You can wear any, ain't the most insane. Like this time in New York, I wore, I wore like a huge outsized white David Byrne suit. I've worn, it just, it doesn't matter what you wear and in what context. There's always somebody more fabulous you can't be overdressed in New York. I don't think it's impossible. In Manhattan, I'm not talking about Brooklyn. Brooklyn is a whole other thing. But in Manhattan, it's not, it's just not possible. Whereas in London, literally any attempt at dressing up will be greeted with, oh, look at you. <laughs> oh, going somewhere. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it's just, you know, I don't bother. I just wear leggings and a T-shirt everywhere I go. It's just, I can't be bothered with it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so... Yeah, I did. London, I guess it gets dressed up for a big night, but not for any other purpose. Not in my neighbourhood, anyway. How do you think How do you think parenthood has changed how you write? I mean, I don't. I would never want to overstate it because some of the greatest uh, women writers who've ever lived didn't have children, so it's definitely not a prerequisite. But uh, for me, it's just more experience, more information, more data. <laughs> you just, you just. I just feel different things and they're they're just enriching. I mean, it's just massively, massively enriching. There's things I couldn't have imagined. But you can be a perfectly great writer without imagining those things. Like some of these things you probably don't want to know if you want to be a particular kind of writer. Like children make you feel sympathy for your parents in a way that's super annoying. You know, if you want to write a novel like Gwendolyn Riley. You don't want to feel sympathy for your parents. You want to hate them to forever. <laughs> so it's a it's an incapacitating thing at a certain level, but it just makes for different kinds of novels. The run through will be back in just a moment. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. 
Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills, or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes, and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Shop by price, 25 and under to 100 and under. Category, like fragrances and handbags. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything or for grandma. Macy's has all the hottest gift ideas, like Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, Samsung smart TVs, and more. Go to macy's.com slash gift finder to shop. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder today. And we're back. How do you feel when you finish a novel? Is there like a postpartum or is it a relief, a joy? Um, it depends. This time it was a joy. I loved writing it, but there was a lot of sadness in finishing it because I just really couldn't have had more fun or been more stimulated by something. I don't think, I'm, I'm sure I'll go on to write other novels, but I don't imagine I'll ever write anything which was so engaging to me. And so um, wow. took so much and just was so beautifully distracting. I was sort of amazed listening that you uh, sort of treated this like a Dickensian. You would send it out to friends every few weeks, parts of it. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, just like that. Are there is there a certain tight group of friends you send it to? Is it's just it two the people. people. It was okay. just Devorah Baum and Daryl Pinkney in New York. So one in London and one in New York. Just two people who have influenced my thinking a lot about so many things, and um, and the ideas in the book come from them. And I just knew that they would be interested. Yeah. And did that just sort of help you get through it, or did they give you feedback that really altered the direction of the book? And part of it is, you know, a bit of bravado, you know, like I just wanted to see, can can I do it? Maybe if you read it, you think, no, you really can't do it. You should never do that again. But I, I wanted to see if I could do it. This is the way all novels used to be written. And, and I'm a novelist, so I want to see if I could do it. And, you know, you have examples in hip hop. You have people who sit down and write every verse perfectly. And then you have Nicki Minaj, Jay-Z people who just, you know, they will go into a studio and record something absolutely extraordinary so it depends like you don't always need that uh excessive preparation sometimes by the seat of your pants is a good thing i watched the wife of wilsden and 
loved it. Went to see it in Brooklyn. Um, and there were some historic, there was a lot of historic references there too and drawing from Chaucer. And yeah. um, when did you start writing the play? Was it, Were you interested in historic themes? I'm sort of interested to know a bit, a bit about how these two are connected because I... You know, I I think that was the la- the last book I'd read. You know, I saw your play, right. then I read the book, and I was like, oh, okay. Like, there are some common themes here. I th- I think I mean the history of Jamaica always interests me, but I've started to think of it as just like a an act of resistance. Like I I feel like I'm caught in a culture that wants you to only ever think about what happened yesterday, at best, mm. and in a constant loop of like presenteeism, and wants you to forget. The past. And when you remove people from their past, you remove them from the opportunity to learn from it and to use tools from it. So, uh, you know, when I was young, I used to think of uh, looking backwards as necessarily conservative. And now I think of it as, uh, yes, an act of resistance. It really matters to me, the connection between the past and the present. And there are things there to admire, to pick up yourself as tools. Queen Nanny, obviously, is a great hero of Jamaica, mm. a great hero of mine. And I don't want to leave these things in the past. I think they they have lessons for us. Zidi, I heard that you said that after this book, you wanted to just sort of sleep for a little bit and take some time off. And you just told us that you can't imagine doing another undertaking like this anytime soon. But w- what does that mean? What do you fill your time with when you're not writing? I mean, I do, I'm not in any lack of things to do. I have a family and that takes <laughs> up every second of my life, to be honest. I, the question is, how do I do any writing? It's more, it's more to the point uh, th- that that is more than enough to be getting on with. Um, and then I have given up teaching. So in that gap, I, you know, I hope to write more essays and um, just be in the world more, you know, just experience things. Um, but I, I, I don't feel I have a moment free. I'm writing a TV any- show. There's that too. You know, oh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I'd love to read in your your piece on Deanna Lawson because I'm a huge fan of her work. Oh, and yeah, I think she's so wonderful. Reading your description of seeing her photographs just really, it just nailed it. Tell me what you're looking at now that that has, that gives you that same feeling. Has there been a show or an artist or a, a thing that um, you've seen that moved you like that? Because I was like, wow, like this is exactly what it is to be at a Deanna Lawson show. I'm actually reading, I just finished reading a book called Blessings by a very young Nigerian queer writer. It's a beautiful book. Um, his last name is Ibe. It's coming out, I think, next year. But on the front of that book, there appears to be a, a portrait. I think he's a Nigerian artist. I'm trying to kind of track him down. Oh, wow. That, that's what's been interesting me most. Hmm. It, it, it's not unlike uh, Toye Noditola's work. but I love it. As in the skin is like a map. It's very interesting. But so that's kind of been striking me. Um, But I haven't, I've been so deep in this book that I haven't really, you know, stepped out, been to a gallery. This is what this period is is for in my mind. Once a book is over and once touring for a book is over, then suddenly I'm like free to see things and listen to things and read things and like just be a citizen. I can't wait. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. 
Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Are there things that you miss about, I'm kind of anticipating missing New York a bit after, I think it gets under your skin. What do you miss about New York? Anything or? Um, Everything. I miss everything about New York. It's the best place. <laughs> it is the best place. And so that's very hard. I'm not one of those people who's like, I'm over New York. That is not the situation. I, I was taken kicking and screaming. And I hope to be I hope to be back, you know, one day when my kids are older and are doing their own thing. Mm. And what I mean, there are great things about London. I'm trying to get excited. Is what is the best thing about being back home? It's it's real life. I mean, I I, I love Manhattan, but Manhattan is is not it's a fa- it's a fantasy. It's mm. like stepping into a TV show. It is absolutely in no form reality. Um, and I'm quite a sucker for <laughs> fantasy. So I enjoyed <laughs> it greatly. But um, London's nothing like that. So uh, London is is just a real place. And uh, that that's incredible in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. People don't use the word dream as they do in New York. Every other word in New York is dream. People are having dreams. Yeah. They're going to get their dreams. A dream. It's like it's built on. <laughs> it's an absolute factory of utter <laughs> fantasy. So um, London's not like that at all. You have less conversations, but the ones you have are real and much longer. Hmm. In London, someone will say to you, do you want to have dinner on the 24th of March? And you're like, that's three weeks away. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whereas in New York, at midday, you're like, I'll see you at two, I'll see you at four, we'll have drinks at five and go to a party at six, another party at ten, and then I'll be in Brooklyn at, after midnight. You can't yes, come to your in, dinner though. You in can't three do that in weeks. London. It's too spread out. No, no, it's impossible. So that's why you'll be having dinner in three Is it weeks. physically impossible or people physically, just don't physically have physically impossible. Physically impossible. Physically impossible. Okay. In mm-hmm. fact, in New York it is too, but the grid system gives you this illusion that you're going to have brunch, you're just 10 lunch, blocks away. dinner, cocktail, blah, 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 blah. You're not going to, you can do two of those things. So what are you reading right now? Right now I'm reading Trollope. I picked up this bizarre little book by Trollope called The Warden, which is fantastic. I had a Trollope phase during the pandemic. I it's thought actually, it was very buoying. Yeah, he's very cheering. Um, a dollop and, of Trollope. Yeah, a very dark <laughs> book called The Atlas of AI, which is mm. incredible and uh terrifying yeah and what are you watching right now what are you watching on television um i'm i think i'm slightly out of loop but there's nothing i i did the hate the kind of love hate watching of uh, the sex and the city thing such a <laughs> massively traumatizing <laughs> and also insanely enjoyable experience and then i don't know what i'm doing now nothing nothing did much. you watch sex in the city in the original in real time sarah jessica parker i i am i stand forever <laughs> i would watch her in anything in any circumstance in any show she is an absolute extraordinary tv actress one of the best there's ever been end of story <laughs> who's your favorite new character on the 
I was just going to ask that. <laughs> um, no, I'm still going to go with Carrie. Sorry. <laughs> Sticking with Carrie. <laughs> well, we're going to see where she ends up in season three. I can't believe that there's another one. Uh, yeah, amazing. Always, always Carrie. Forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we have a we have a quick lightning round for you, and then we'll lady. let you go. We know you're on a long. Yes, exactly. We we know you're on a long tour. Well, big fan of your red lipstick. Can you tell us mm-hmm. what is the color? What's the brand? We must know. It's Nars. It's just a series of different. I don't know that much about makeup, I'm afraid, but it's a bright red one, a dark, moody one, and a light pink one. Okay, where's your favourite place to shop if you can shop in a brick and mortar place? I hate shopping. Okay. Do you? I really hate, I I, I, I really, I I do it very quickly. I walk in, I see exactly what I know would look good on my body, I buy it, I'm gone. I don't want to. I don't I don't experience it as a pleasurable activity. So you so you go with a to-do list, I need pants and skirts and it's very I'm very precise. Around. Yeah, I know exactly it's more like dressing a character. Like I know I want to look intimidating or <laughs> it's usually just that actually. And just go into a shop, <laughs> find something very intimidating, put it on and then go. I, I don't I don't enjoy the talk with the shop girl. I don't enjoy the staring in the I just don't it doesn't it makes me feel anxious. So what's an internet pastime that you wish you spent less time on is it daily mail shopping inter- instagram oh, for sure i mean da- but daily mail only when you're when you're in your lowest moment <laughs> it gets you at that moment you're like oh and now i'll just go to the sidebar <laughs> yeah i that that i experienced worse than if i was watching the most abusive porn i i feel i feel better about anything but the daily mail sidebar <laughs> that is something that really I hate about myself whenever I go there. <sighs> Googling yourself, that's the worst, most pitiful thing you can do. What else? Um, sometimes I go into, I don't hate this though, like the relationships, rap rap feuds or <laughs> feuds between. I just, I can get into that kind of thing. Like, oh, I, me too. I mean, the Megan the Stallion and the Tony. Like, yeah, that, I can that go thing quite got me deep down got deep into, into that. details. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anyway, things like that, I can just, and suddenly it's two in the morning. Why why am I so concerned with these? Because we were going to ask you your guilty pleasure, but I guess that That is probably probably it. Yeah. And sometimes of of very new rappers that I don't even know. I might not even know their music. I don't know why I'm into the nitty gritty of their interpersonal feuds. (laughs) It's strange. Yeah. All right. Well, Zadie, we'll we'll let you go. But thank you so, so much. We all it was such a treat for us this summer to read the book and yeah. to be thinking thank about you. this. Congratulations. I'm so glad we... that you've read it. Thank you. It's lovely. No, it was great. All right. All right. Bye, Take Zadie. Care. Bye. That's it for today's episode. We'll be back next week. See you soon. Bye. The Run Through of Vogue is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns. It's engineered by Jake Loomis and Gabe Kiroga and mixed by Mike Kutchman. See you soon. Bye. Hey, 
listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up to date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out.